to John 2, verse 13, or you can follow along on the screen above with me. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple court, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove, all from the, drove them all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning, you haven't, you haven't had your breakfast uh, yet. <laughs> Let's pray. Precious and wonderful Father, we thank you for your presence with us this morning. We thank you because you are a God who speaks to us, who knows us individually, who knows and cares for us. So Father, we, we just pray this morning that um, we may hear from you. Let your word come forth. Fill us by your grace and by your spirit. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The portion of scripture we just heard is a, the most amazing um, kind of scene in, in the New Testament where we saw Jesus expressing his anger and his um, zeal um, for his household. I, I just want you to imagine um, that um, <clears throat> the temple at this Passover time. Now, we know that um, John likes to use this um, Jewish celebrations to um, uh, reveal who Jesus is and also uh, his ministry. Um, and in this text, it was Passover celebration. And Passover is a big event. People come from all over the world, thousands and thousands, hundreds and thousands of people come to the temple from all over uh, the world to worship, to give their sacrifice. And, um, you know, not only Jew, Jew diaspora, but also uh, Gentile uh, converts, who, who people from um, other uh, nations who accepted Judaism. So there was a designated area, particularly in the temple for the Gentiles. They, they're not um, uh, encouraged to get closer to the temple. They, there was a place, a designated place for uh, those people who accepted Judaism from other nations. Uh, that was actually um, the place where the merchants were, were occupied um, in that uh, temple court. So the animal sellers had initially been, you know, this is the exact place where the merchants occupied from, uh, occupied of the, the Gentiles. So the Gentiles came to worship, to pray, to connect with God. The people, as I said, come from all over the world to, celeb to celebrate the Passover. And 
you know, you, you and you, you go to the, and, and Jesus went went uh, to that temple and and then discovered that the merchants and the sellers of those animals and all kinds of uh, things were happening in, in in the temple. So the animal sellers had initially been allowed to set up their souls within the temple courts for the convenience of the pilgrims. The the uh, the people come from all over the world and they cannot bring the animals they they uh, intended to sacrifice to present to God with them because they come from uh, uh, a long way. So coming from far, it was impossible for them to come with their sacrificial animals. So they, they have to buy their animals at the temple, not just animals, but animals that, that are approved by priests um, to be without any blemish. Now, this is convenience. The convenience was soon abused and turned into a thriving, money-making business. But the chief priests who were at the temple, the temple authorities, didn't mind uh, the destruction, how that, that uh, business, that market actually was distracting people from focusing on God, focusing and giving, uh, you know, connecting with him and praying and, and um, uh, doing what they, they come to do. Because they were getting, you know, um, um, because they, the rent they collect from the stallholders brought in plenty of revenues uh, for the temple. So there was a place for the many changes as well, because, uh, you know, thousands of uh, people are coming kind of with uh, all kinds of currency, and it was very hard for uh, the sellers of animals to, you know, to, to, to um, um, uh, uh, sell and, and kind of sell their, their stuff with, uh, with the, the same currency. So many changes uh, were needed to convert them all into local coinage. So Jesus came and he saw all this. He wasn't particularly uh, condemning the merchants for dishonest business. That was not what he was um, concerned about, but for being in the temple area at all and preventing people from, particularly the Gentiles, from praying, praying there. They're transforming, you know, they, they, they transformed what should have been a place of worshipful prayer into a noisy market. And in the Old Testament, the temple uh, was the place of encountering God, the place of prayer. And we read in, in Isaiah 56, verse 7, that God is saying, This I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifice will be accepted on, on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. That was God's intention for his temple, to be a house of prayer, for people to come and have that encounter with God, to be prayerful, to be worshipful, to really encounter with him. Those people who are hungry for God, who came all the way there to, to meet God, uh, so they may meet God. They may meet, may God meet with, with his people. That was his intention. The temple is the place where God dwells, where human can meet God. This was a prominent feature of Israel's worship, starting with the tabernacle, the Moses' uh, time, and then the temple built by Solomon, Zerubbabel, and then finally uh, Herod. Jesus was vividly angry at the sin. He made a weep 
and of the courts and drove all the animal sellers and money changers out of the temple. And he also overturned the table of the money changers. And you know, you can imagine the chaos that was created by his actions in that temple. You know, and at that time, looking at Jesus's anger and, and, and engagement with that situation, the disciples remembered uh, a scripture from Psalm uh, 69. It says that for, for zeal for your house consumes me. So Jesus was consumed by the zeal of uh, uh, the, the house of God. The fact that people came to the house of God were prevented from encountering God. So the authorities demanded to know his authority because he was, he was acting with authority. And, and he was saying, you, you know, he was claiming that this was actually his father's house. And they were saying, you know, he, and he, he, that is a, a, a messianic, uh, 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 he was claiming a messianic authority. So the wrongness of the situation at the temple was not disputed. There was no dispute, disputing what Jesus was doing was right or wrong. It's just that, who are you? How, what, on, what, on what authority are you acting? On what authority are we taking these actions? So they asked for a sign to authenticate his authority. And this is when Jesus introduced that he is the true temple. He says, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has, you know, they were shocked and he said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. Now Jesus was looking beyond the edge of the temple worship that he's actually claiming that he is the temple. As the previous, the previous temple was uh, used to bring people uh, 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 to facilitate for God to meet his people, now human beings are actually encounter God in Jesus Christ. He is the temple. And uh, you remember in uh, John chapter 4, in, in, in Jesus' conversation with uh, the Samaritan woman, he said to her, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you, you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. So Jesus is, you know, the true temple, which the old temple points to. Now, the, so the question I want us to ask today is, if Jesus is the true temple, how should that impact our approach to prayer? In my view, we, we, we see at least three implications for our prayer life. It means that the place of prayer has changed. The place of prayer has changed. Secondly, the access to prayer has changed. And certainly, therefore, the heart of prayer has to change. The, the, the place of prayer has changed. The access to prayer has changed. Therefore, the place, uh, the, the, the heart of prayer has to change. The place of prayer has changed. So as reconciler and perfect mediator and high priest, Jesus is qualified to announce the coming of the new temple. And until now, the temple of Solomon was the place where God meets people. To meet God, people have to go to, uh, to the temple and sometimes travel thousands of miles. Now the temple has changed. Jesus is the new temple. In Christ, sinners meet with God. 
That means there is no a designated holy ground. There's no a designated holy ground where we should go to meet God. Everywhere is a holy ground. The implication of Jesus being the temple is everywhere is a holy ground. Wherever you are throughout the day, as long as you are in Christ and Christ is in you, the ground you are standing is a holy ground. Where you should take off your shoes, where you can continue to commune with God and pray to God, whatever, uh, wherever it is, wherever you are, wherever you are, as long as you are in Christ, in this temple, and Christ is in you, the ground you are standing is a holy ground. The moment you start to see the ground you are standing is as a holy ground, wherever that is, you will start to transcend beyond your surroundings. So your heart will be lifted up in prayer and worship. You know, prayer becomes not a burden or a duty that you are forced to do, but like breathing, the natural thing to do. Because you know that where you are, you are actually in, in Christ, in the temple, in, in, the, in, in that temple, at that moment, in that place, wherever that is, that you can commune. You know that you can commune with him. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to do anything to attract God's attention. You are living in Christ in the temple, in the new temple. So the ground where you are standing is a holy ground. Even while we are going through a difficult time, the moment we remember that the very place we are standing is a holy ground and that we don't have to travel anywhere to find God or do not need to do anything to attract his attention and that we are in the temple in Christ and Christ is in us, the way we look at our situation immediately changes and we will be full of faith and present our petition with thanksgiving. So that's what happened in, to, to, to Joshua. You remember that the, uh, that was the place where, um, one of the places in the Bible where the angels were asking Joshua to take off his shoes. Now, Joshua was by the wall of Jericho, looking at the fortress. He, he, was, he, was, he was asked to go through Jericho, but this, this big wall was in front of him, and it's, it's a fortress, a huge challenge in front of him. So he was, he was approaching that wall and wondering how he can overcome, overcome and, 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 you know, go through this, this wall. So he was worried how he was going to overcome this huge challenge. But at, at the same time, he was oblivious uh, uh, to the fact that the Lord was standing beside him all along, that the ground he was standing was a holy ground. God was standing with, with, beside him, this is, he, was not, he was not actually, um, you know, uh, fighting or living a life of, uh, of his own. It was God's, God's, he was in God's business. Now, it says in, in chapter 5, in Joshua chapter 5, Now when J Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for, for his servant? The commander of the Lord army replied, take off your shoes. The place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So Joshua was asking for a message. What message does um, my, my Lord have for his servant? So he was like uh, putting distance between God and himself. As if God is far away sending him a message 
to him. But, but, but the angel said to him, take off your shoes. You are actually standing in the presence of God. You are standing. God is with you. He's there. You are in the business of God. You are here. Take off your shoes. That acknowledgement of the reverence and knowing that God is in that place was uh, 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 the angel wanted Joshua to demonstrate that awareness, that consciousness by taking off his shoes. That made him to be conscious of the fact that the life he's living, the war he's fighting, is not his own, but the Lord's. That changed the way he sees himself and his challenges. So the location of prayer has changed no more in one place, but anywhere. The ground you are standing is a holy ground. The Temple of Solomon was um, restricted to Jews. And Gentiles could only approach the, the, the uh, outer court. Now in the new temple, uh, the new temple is for all. Christ is, has become our location, our temple. The temple is uh, replaced by the Lord and, and, and the Lamb. In um, Revelation 21, John was looking for the temple. God was... God, um, um, open John's eye to, to, to see the heavenly city, uh, the, the new Jerusalem. And as he was looking at uh, uh, in, in, you know, the city, he was looking for a temple because that's what he, he, he was used to. And he said, but I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Later on, he realized he doesn't need a building, a temple. Actually, God himself was a temple. So what's, what uh, is stopping us from praying everywhere and continuously? You know, maybe the habit of praying in a particular place, place or time or only on Sunday or prayer meetings on Monday or in our community uh, uh, group is very res restrictive. You know, it's, it's, of course, it is important to uh, designate a time and a place for prayer, but that is to set the course of the day, to help us to continue communing with him, you know, to dwell in his presence in every second of the day and to abide in him. We are living in the temple every second of the day. We are in Christ Jesus, a new temple. The ground we are standing is a holy ground. That, that consciousness changes our prayer life totally. Of course, uh, uh, as we pray together, as we pray on our own, on a designated time, that, that sets the trajectory of the day so that we may go out knowing that we are, uh, 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 we can commune God anywhere, uh, we, uh, everywhere we are. But not only the place of prayer, uh, but the access of prayer also has changed. As a Lamb of God, Jesus is qualified to announce the arrival of the perfect sacrifice and to get rid of the old ritual, the animal sacrifice, which relates on the human provision. He's uh, driving the animals away from the temple. He's telling about the, 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 the need for those animal sacrifices over. So God doesn't need animal sacrifice anymore or the day is coming where you don't need to bring sacrifice before God. The true sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world is here. His sacrifice qualifies us to enter into the presence of God. Nothing is expected from the worshipers anymore. God has prepared his own lamb. Nothing stops us from accessing God. 
We don't need anything to bring or to be anything for our prayer to be accepted or to access God. Christ is our sufficiency. That's why the Hebrew uh, writer encouraged us. He says, let us then approach God's throne of, uh, of grace with confidence, knowing that Christ is our sufficiency, that we can be, he's, he's our fullness, he's our completeness, he's our righteousness. So we, need to, we can approach the throne of God with confidence so that we may receive mercy and uh, grace, find grace to help us in our time of need. We can pray from or being in any situation. You know, that means we can pray and access God in all situations, no matter what it is. There shouldn't be anything that prevents us from accessing God in prayer. We should pray when we feel good or bad. We can pray when we fail or stand. We should pray when we are angry or sad. We have only one ground to access God, that is Christ. No matter what we, what we feel, no matter in what situation we are in, there is only one ground. There is no ground changing. You know, when we are good, when we think we are standing and, and, and living a right life, the ground doesn't change. That, that won't be that, the ground to stand before God. Or when we fail or we feel bad, the, the, the ground doesn't change. There is only one ground that we are accepted and access the, uh, enter into the presence of God. That is in Christ. So we can pray in any situation we are in. We can access God, God's presence. We can, we can uh, stand and, and uh, understand that this, the place we are standing is the holy ground and commune with God no matter what we feel. Sometimes we, we, we wait until we feel good. Uh, and calm or better before we pray. That's a mistake. That's the time to pray because your access to God doesn't depend on you, on your um, situation. God waits for us to reach out to him when we are troubled, anxious, in doubt, overwhelmed, uh, in need. And when we fail, in any situation we find ourselves in, we should know that the ground we stand before him doesn't change. Because, because the place and the access of prayer have changed, the heart of prayer has to change. So as king and messiah, Jesus has the authority to clean the temple, to demand the removal of anything that affects the right activity of the temple. Prayer, an encounter be, be, between God and his people. King Jesus has the right and authority to demand the removal of that which hinders our prayer and communion, communion with God. The worshippers in the temple was finding it most difficult to pray and commune with God in the midst of all noises. There, there were many destructive noises and activities that take away the attention of the people from God. Now, if Jesus is Lord... He claims the temple uh, as a primary sphere of his rule. 
outward profession of loyalty which doesn't involve true repentance and heartfelt commitment is not enough for Jesus. That's why it says in, in, um, in the same chapter, verse 24, but Jesus didn't commit himself to them because he knew all men. He knew uh, the, the, the level of commitment there. There, was peop there were people around him who professed to believe in him, to follow him. But Jesus knew that they, 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 it's not a, a heartfelt commitment to God to him. So just as Jesus rightfully purged the temple of all its pollutions, he has every right today to come to us and demand that we put our sins away. He has every right to demand the removal of all the idols, uh, idols we have laid upon our hearts. He has every right to demand that we forsake everything that should not be found in the temple of our hearts. You see, when we, it's, not Jesus, it's not just Jesus is our temple, we are also his temple. In uh, Corinthians, Paul says, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So, as Jesus was acting with a consuming zeal, to, clear, to cleanse his father's house, the Holy Spirit functions in the same way today in our hearts, in our life. You know, with strong desire to see us being cleansed and dedicated only to Jesus. There's an amazing scripture in James, um, James chapter 4 um, uh, that, that actually reveals how the Holy Spirit is feeling the same, the same passion, the same zeal uh, uh, for um, the house of God, for, 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 his, for his temple. Um, he said this to um, the people that he was writing to. Whoever, whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns, craves, desires jealously. But he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now the people that uh, James was writing to where, where their heart was taken by the world, there, there, there was all kinds of idols in their hearts. Their attention was taken away from God. Their attention, they were focusing on something else. And, and he was saying that the spirit that God has given you, the, spirit, the Holy Spirit that is in you, is yearning, craving, jealously to, to, to captivate your heart, your attention to Christ, to, to turn your attention, your heart to, to Christ. He's, he's doing the same thing, but not like uh, uh, at the time of Jesus. He doesn't engage in cleansing our hearts by force, no, but gives us grace so that we may be, uh, we may be uh, uh, empowered um, to choose him, to choose Christ, to, to say no to the things that is preventing our prayer and communion with God. So that we may be, um, you know, um, uh, we may reject anything that prevents our prayer life. We may be saturated with prayer and worship and communion with God. That is what the Holy Spirit is doing in our hearts today. Not forcing us, but pouring out his grace. Isn't that amazing, brothers and sisters? That the Spirit of God who is in us is craving jealously to get our attention. 
All kinds of things are taking our attentions away from Jesus today. What are the, uh, the potential hindrances uh, in our life that affects our prayer life, our communion with God? When fellowship lacks solitude, when we allow our day to be full of activity, talking to everyone else but God, our fellowship benefits from our solitude. When there isn't any solitude, when you don't take time to, to uh, connect, to contemplate, to, to commune with God, then we don't actually have much to bring to the fellowship. And when, when idols occupy our hearts, when the mere thing becomes the main thing, when things that is given to us to help us fulfill our purpose in life becomes the purpose in life. All the material things are given to us to help us to live out, to, to fulfill the purpose of God uh, upon our life, not uh, uh, themselves to be the purpose for life. When the temporal precedes the eternal, when rest and entertainment excludes God, when we rest, we need rest. When we entertain ourselves without being conscious of God, without, um, by excluding God. When prayer becomes one way, religious utterance instead of marked by encounter, communion, and abiding fellowship and relationship with God. So the place of prayer has changed. Every ground you're standing on is a holy ground. Your home, your workplace, your city, wherever you are, you are standing on holy ground because you are located in Christ. Christ is your temple. I just want to encourage us, uh, whether it is in the morning or whether it is at your workplace, uh, whether it is if, wherever you are, just to take off some, just to take time to take off your shoes, and then put that, put that again. Don't just leave it there, but you can put it back again. But really, to remind us, to remind ourselves that this is actually holy ground, wherever you are, even when you are you are uh, uh, engaging in a very difficult situation, taking your shoes off and, and uh, to speaking to yourself that you are standing on holy ground. God is with you. He's not far away that you have to do something to get his attention or attract, attract him to, to look at you. You are actually living and dwelling in his presence. That, that, that would be, I think, to be very, very helpful. So, you know, what's stopping us to pray, to be prayerful in our life? The access to prayer has changed. We don't need anything to bring or to be anything for our prayer to be accepted or to access God. Christ is your sufficiency, our sufficiency. That means we can pray and access God in all situations, no matter what it is. What is stopping us from accessing God, from praying, from communing with God? There is no justifiable reason. The door is open. Christ is our temple, and we are his temple. Therefore, the heart of prayer has to change. King Jesus has the right and authority to demand the removal of that which hinders our prayer and communion, communion with God. The Holy Spirit yearns jealously for our heart to be of Christ 
and give us grace to get rid of any idols in our life. Today, the Holy Spirit wants us to give us that grace we need, the grace we need to say no to the things that is affecting our fellowship with Christ. Let's pray. Precious and wonderful Father, we thank you for being our temple. That wherever we are, whatever we do, Lord, we are in you and you are in us. And it is in you that we have access to meet God, to commune with God. What an amazing privilege it is, Father. Whether it is in our, or, or whether when we are in our house or workplace or wherever, or traveling or wherever we are, Lord, we are in your presence. We are on holy ground. Help us to realize this amazing privilege that you are not meeting us um, at weekends or um, uh, any services, but Lord, you are with us 24 24 hours of the day. Help us to be conscious of you, Father. And Lord, that we may realize today we don't need to bring anything to attract your attention. That Jesus is our sufficiency. Jesus is, we are complete in him. And we can boldly and confidently approach the throne of grace to receive grace and mercy. Father, we... we we, want, we just pray that we may experience and know your commitment to each one of us, even when we are going through difficult time. Lord, you are there. You are there. Lord, may we know, may we know that at that point, at that moment, you are with us. Lord, we, may ex- we, we pray that we may experience your presence, that we may be conscious of your utter commitment to us, Lord Jesus. And Father, that may we be willing today, Lord, that, that we may be willing to respond to your challenges, to get rid of the things that's hindering our prayer life in our heart, Father. Help us, Lord, we pray. Pour out your grace upon us. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. <laughs>